Well, brothers and sisters, it is good to worship with you this morning. We continue looking at the Psalms in our series for the summer. We go to the Psalms, the songbook of Israel, because we find real, raw, and honest songs that depict the life of faith. A life that wrestles with fear, doubt, pain, relationships, joy, bliss, and large questions. Large questions of God and the world that we live in. I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures if you haven't already and turn to Psalm 6. And we ask this one question today. Who? Who can deliver me? And that is a prevalent question for us this morning. Whether you are a faithful follower of Christ or you are here and you are considering Christianity, you and I are looking, searching for deliverance. Deliverance from our circumstances, deliverance from inner pain, deliverance from yourself and poor choices. And you and I, we we run to a lot of places hoping to find deliverance in life, don't we? The band U2, just to make some of you feel old, wrote a song in 1987, that's 35 years ago, and the song went something like this. I have run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm searching for. So perhaps, like this song, you've gone to relationships to be with that one person, only to realize you haven't found what you're looking for. You haven't found deliverance for the longing of your heart. Well, Okay, maybe not relationships. What about deliverance in a new life, in a new identity, perhaps? One contemporary artist recently wrote these words in a song. I thought when I grew up, I would be the same as the ones who gave me my last name. I would not give in. I would not partake in the same old drugs that everyone else takes. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm living my life so I can go to heaven and never come back. But look where I'm at. Look where I'm at. I'm living the life that I said I wouldn't. I want to go back. Maybe like this song, you've moved. You've sought a new you. And yet you still find yourself stuck, suffering, discontent, and longing. Longing for true and final deliverance. My main point this morning is simply this. We all need deliverance from the mess. We all need deliverance from the mess. So what if I told you there was a song better than you too? I mean, yeah, even better than Joshua Tree. There is a song better that could give you clarity to this question. Who can deliver me? What if I told you that Psalm 6, a desperate song from a man named David, a man trying to figure out a life of faith, what if this song could change your life and point you to the one who brings final freedom, redemption, forgiveness, and joy? Would you read with me please Psalm 6? 
O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea, and the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Well, our song here this morning has three movements in this psalm. And the first movement is this. Our troubled bones. Our troubled bones. I give this from the first three verses, but especially verse 2, where David says, Heal me, O Lord, for my bones, my bones are troubled. We're not certain on the specific circumstance that David finds himself in, but it seems to be a very human and common experience that we too have felt. David pens a song in which he laments his situation. He's languishing. He feels it in his troubled bones. He's in agony. He's weak. He's frail. Verse 3 tells us that it's not merely physical, if it is physical at all. His soul is in anguish. His soul is sick. His soul is greatly troubled. My friends, can we empathize with this kind of language? What are the circumstances in which you and I might describe our bones as troubled? Well, perhaps it's physical. Perhaps your bones are troubled because cancer has come. Because of disease, dementia. Maybe your bones are troubled spiritually and you have in your bones a troubledness because of your personal sin, guilt, shame, maybe doubt that you have in life. Maybe it's mental and emotional. Maybe your troubled bones means that you're struggling with depression. Maybe it's relational. Maybe your troubled bones have to do with a fractured marriage. Suffering relationships with friends. You see, you've hurt too, haven't you? And sometimes it's a combination of all these things that make our bones troubled. Here's one reason this psalm is helpful and necessary for us to consider this morning. We live in a broken world. We need deliverance. We need deliverance from the mess. Too often in Christian circles, well-meaning faithful followers of Christ will dismiss this kind of honest speech. 
When David comes in with deep, dark thoughts and feelings, he gives us categories. There is room to admit we're hurting. There is room to confess weakness and frailty. We don't have to pretend that we're stronger than we actually are. We don't have to pretend that we have it all figured out. We don't have to pretend that throwing out coined Bible verses and Christian cliches will help us or fix our problems. Like the psalmist, we can vulnerably confess to God and to those around us that our bones are troubled. Like David, it leads us to questions about life and God. Verse 1 tells us that David is asking questions. He writes a song in the midst of his pain, kind of wondering, verse 1 tells us, kind of wondering if God is behind his circumstances. Verse 1, rebuke me not. God, I hurt. Are you rebuking and judging me? Is that what this is? God, are you disciplining me because you're angry with me? The end of verse 3, we see God as potentially both a threat and our hope. How long, God? How long will you allow this? How long will you punish? How long will you wait? Verse 1, I'm wondering if God's angry with me. Verse 3, I'm realizing that he's my only hope for healing. There's one writer who gives good, uh, good categories for suffering like this. He says this, You never just suffer the thing that you're suffering, but you always also suffer the way that you're suffering that thing. What you think about yourself, life, God, and others will profoundly affect the way you think interact, and respond to difficulty that comes your way. We see this with David. He's not just suffering in a particular circumstance. He's suffering as he tries to understand God in the midst of his circumstance. This is often the case with you and I too, isn't it? Well, it is true. We do, you and I, have troubled bones. But like the biblical writers, we do well to admit it. I want us to see that it doesn't stop there. We don't just have our troubled bones. We have our desperate plea. A desperate plea. I get this directly from verses 4 through 7. It's rare for our troubled souls to be quiet. It's rare for our troubled souls to not communicate, to cry out. And we very naturally, you and I, we plead with someone. We plead with someone who we think is able to help, someone who's able to speak into our situation. We plead with someone who we think perhaps can even alleviate some of our pain. For the Christian and for the writer of Psalm 6, the plea manifests itself in a song, in a prayer to God. Verse 4 begins with some interesting language. Look again. Turn, God. Change my situation. Act on my behalf. Deliver me. Bring deliverance that my soul desperately longs for in this life. And what makes this language interesting is the second half of the verse. Notice, 
Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Save me because of that. Save me, deliver me, not on the basis of my performance. Save me, deliver me, not because I deserve it, but save me because of your character. Save me based on who you are at your core. You may be unfamiliar, but this phrase, steadfast love, is one of the most important terms in the Old Testament and the scriptures as a whole. The term steadfast love is shorthand for God's covenant, promise-keeping love to his people. Who, they don't simply believe that he exists, but they've trusted in him for his salvation. God's steadfast love is God's redeeming and rescuing love. This is what we call the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's love displayed itself in sending the God-man Jesus to come and die in the place of sinners and to rise again from the dead, offering forgiveness, new hearts, and new lives to those who trust in Him. God's steadfast love is applied to you and I, not when we make some mental assent to vague ideas about God existing, but when by faith we believe Jesus lived the perfect life that we never could, substituted himself, exchanged his life for ours, and died and suffered judgment so that you and I never have to. That's grace. And this plea of the psalmist, God, my bones are troubled. My soul hurts. I plead to you, turn God. The God who made promises to restore this broken world. The God who has promised to send a Savior. The God who promises to forgive, to extend mercy and grace to those who don't deserve it. The God who has steadfast, covenant, promise-keeping love to those who trust and faithfully follow Him. To that God, deliver me. Rescue me. It's to that God, the steadfast love of God. But David's plea in these verses isn't just based on the character of God. It's a plea that seems to be some kind of bargaining as well. Look again at verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? So, God, bring deliverance because I feel like I'm dying here. And if I die, God, what good is that? How can I live for you and bring you honor if I'm dead? It's like the child who says, uh, Mom, you've asked me to clean my room, but how can I do that on an empty stomach? I need you to buy me pizza first. I need you to act before I can. My bargain is this. Buy me pizza and I'll do what you've asked of me. Now, David's not being manipulative like that. And perhaps it's not the best example. But the psalmist, like us, often pleads to God by bargaining with him. God, I will do this if you give me a sign. God, I will follow you faithfully if you do this one thing for me. 
We've all had thoughts like that. And some of our bargaining is more legitimate and honoring than others, for sure. David, what he does here is he gives us another good category for faithful followers of Christ. We pray. We have desperate pleas because our prayers motivate God's action. Prayer does things. We have to believe what the scriptures plainly teach. That when we cry out and pray, God hears and acts because we pray. And the good categories, as one, one writer commenting on these verses says this, If God wishes to hear the praises of the faithful, he must keep them alive right now with their voices primed with thankfulness when he delivers. See, the underlying reality is this. In our pleas, in our bargaining, what we're doing is confessing dependence, reliance, and weakness. Bargaining is a little manipulative, but why are we bargaining? A bargaining? Because we're desperate. Because we're weak, because we need help. God, I need you to initiate. I need you to work because I can't. I need you to make the first move because I'm stuck in my circumstances. And is that not what prayer ultimately is? A confession? A confession that we aren't as powerful and in control as we'd like to believe? And verses 6 and 7 add more context to this desperate plea. David is weary, moaning, flooding his bed with tears. His eyes hurt with grief. He's weak because of his foes. His circumstances loom larger than life, larger than hope even. There is, my friends, there is a healthy desperation to the Christian life. A desperation that manifests itself in real, raw, consistent pleading, asking, begging God to work on our behalf. Learn to pray this way. Learn to wake up each day and realize that you are a desperate person. No matter what your circumstances are, you're desperate. You're dependent on Him for your circumstances. You're dependent on him for your life, your relationships, your week at work, the hearts of your children and your family. You can't, my friends, you can't control any of these things. You are desperate and dependent for God to work. God help us to pray to him like that. Well, finally, we have our troubled bones, our desperate plea, and ultimately, lastly, our ultimate hope. I get this from our concluding verses 8 through 10. And we get some clues in these verses to the context of David's troubled bones, his anguish and his suffering. It has something to do with what he says are workers of evil, enemies, perhaps people attacking and oppressing him, perhaps toxic and harmful relationships. We don't know specifically. But what we do know is this, this world is not just painful, it's also very, very wrong and broken. 
We live in a world that operates in a way that produces pain. We have a sense of rightness that is naturally, naturally seeking, desiring justice and fixing and restoration of all things. But notice again David's hope. Verse 8, his hope is the Lord hears his weeping. Verse 9, his hope is that the Lord hears and accepts his prayer. Verse 10, his hope is that justice and restoration will come. Put simply, the ultimate hope for the faithful follower of Christ is that God knows. He knows. And he doesn't just know, he sees and he hears and he has concern for our situation and he will fix it. Now, let's be honest For some of you, that doesn't seem like a lot of hope. You may ask, how do I know that he knows and sees and hears and will act? See, your suffering and circumstances may be long. Perhaps you've waited years and seemingly nothing has changed in your life. David's own song in Psalm 6, it ends... And it doesn't provide any evidence that things have gotten better or changed for him. He's simply a man who has the hope that God is secretly and mysteriously working in ways that can't always be seen. So what is hope? Well, Oxford defines it this way. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. A feeling of trust. Well, what is the relationship between hope and faith in the Christian life? Hebrews 11.1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So what is our ultimate hope in life? There's a catechism that answers this question for the faithful follower of Christ. It says this. Our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong to God. Our ultimate hope is the steadfast love, covenant, promise-keeping love of God who sees and hears and acts on behalf of his children to those who cling to him and follow him in faith. Remember our songs earlier? They reveal that we're all seeking deliverance. And the question will ultimately come down to this, my friends. Here's the question. What or who are you putting your hope in? Will you run to relationships and still be searching for what you're looking for? Will you run to a new identity and a new life? Will you run to financial stability? Will you find deliverance in your career or your kids or in your retirement account, in your physical well-being? What will deliver you in the midst of the mess? As we said earlier, we all do need deliverance from the mess. My friends, will you consider that God has you here this morning to listen to a song? 
a prayer, a plea from David in Psalm 6, so that you and I would be encountered by this truth. Deliverance, deliverance is found in Christ. Whether you are religious and God seems far off, or you are considering Jesus and have some skepticism in your mind and heart, would you admit that deliverance is something that you're looking for? Would you admit that you found that the things of this world haven't brought deliverance and perhaps you are wrestling with the reality that you'll never find deliverance in the temporary, broken, imperfect things of this world? This week, brothers and sisters, this week, admit your troubled bones. Plead to God who loves and acts. Put your hope in something bigger, more eternal than you in your situation. Put your hope in Christ, the Savior, the one who offers forgiveness, rest, joy, and a new life, and an eternal someday home. This is what it means, as we say in our core values, to be shaped by biblical living. We allow the Word of God, Psalm 6, to inform and recalibrate our minds and hearts. Being a faithful follower of Christ means we don't operate as though God is up there and has left us down here. Rather, by His Spirit, He lives in His children. He shapes us. He guides us. He picks us up when we fall. When our circumstances loom large this week, We look to Christ and cling to Him. Here's the good news. For those of you who've been given new hearts by faith in the gospel, this is already true of your life. May the Lord help us to walk more and more in this way of faith. Would you pray with me? Father, that is our prayer that in the midst of our troubled bones, we would plea, we would call out, we would cry to you. And Lord, would you enlarge our hearts so that we would put our ultimate hope in the Savior of the universe. Show us that this broken world can't satisfy. Show us that the deliverance we've been seeking for, whether we'd like to admit it or not, is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you be kind to show yourself to be real, to be powerful? Would you show yourself to be a God who cares? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.